Today, as, as uh, some have mentioned this morning, it is Palm Sunday. And Jesus walks into Jerusalem knowing what will happen, knowing what is ahead of him, the cross and the crucifixion, the humiliation, taking the sin of the world upon his shoulders. But as he walks in, they glorify him. As the king of Israel, and they lay these palm branches down, saying, Hosanna, save us now. This plea of salvation of God's people, yet they don't truly understand not only how he will save them, but why he will save them from their sins and granting them eternal life. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah 9, 9, the king of Israel, humble and mounted on a colt of a donkey, bringing salvation for God's people. After Jesus has gone and raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, he's declared that he is the resurrection and the life He knows that the the Jewish leaders are stirred up and he knows that as he enters into Jerusalem, it will cost him his life. But this is how he enters Jerusalem. John writes in John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees, went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus would come into the city, riding humble as the king of Israel on a donkey, as these people shout, Hosanna, save us now. And he will give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knows his time has come. He even says his soul is troubled. In chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And he goes into an upper room and he sits down with his disciples, what we call the Last Supper. And it's at this Last Supper which he will wash the disciples' feet. And in the experience on on Friday You will wash one another's feet. And it will be an experience for you to wash your sons, your daughter, your wife, your friend, and their feet as Jesus did. And it's at this intimate meal that Jesus tells his closest disciples, his his people he has spent the last three and a half years of his life with, every waking moments and he says I'm going away and where I am going you cannot come verse 33 of chapter 13 
Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And in this intimate meal, he tells them that one of them will betray him. They don't know which one it will be. Peter says, no, you know, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And Jesus tells Peter, the leader of disciples, that he will deny Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And this is where we pick up our passage this morning in John chapter 14. The place of instability, of uncertainty of the disciples. Where Jesus is going. What will happen to them The disciples are unsure of everything now that it is changing. But here we are in our world today, COVID-19, wars, rumors of wars, a time when people call evil good and good evil, a time when right is wrong and wrong is right, a time where there is uncertainties in every avenue of our world economic futures, uncertainties of the life that we have lived. And it is at this time where Jesus shares with his disciples, and I hope this morning we hear as well, that he gives life in uncertain times. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, 1, But understand this, that in the last days there will become times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul tells us to avoid such people. And yet this is the world in which we live in today. Just as the disciples are experiencing uncertainty, we are as well. And the Lord has a word for us from John chapter 14 this morning. This is finding life in uncertain times. If you'll stand with me, we'll read John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 together. As Jesus speaks to his disciples at the very hour he is about to leave them. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. 
that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. You can be seated. Praise the Lord for his word this morning. Father God, we thank you on this Palm Sunday as we remember and we are reminded of the grace of God coming in the form of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you see us, that you hear us, and that you give to us what we need, which is salvation from our sin and from death and the promise of eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Help us to see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and understand with our hearts that we may serve and love you even in the time in which we find ourselves. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus opens this time with, let your hearts not be troubled. The word troubled here means severe mental or spiritual agitation. Literally, it means to be shaken, to be shaken up. I can remember being a young child, um, about sixth grade, being very shaken, very troubled in my spirit and in my heart. I was going to a camp a long ways away from my family, um, loved my family, still love my family. But in sixth grade, this was a far off place. And I was going with my cousin to a camp in the hill country of Texas. And my aunt had reassured me multiple times. Now don't you worry, Rob. You'll be in the cabin with your cousin, Ed. And I got on the bus and we drove what seemed like a long way down to the hill country of Texas with my trunk and my bags getting ready for my two-week camp down south. And we get off of the bus, and they say, Rob, you go here. Ed, you go here. Uh, I said, well, my aunt told me I'm with him. They said, no, you're a marlin, not a tarpon. (laughs) And I said, no, 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 you know. (laughs) And I can remember uh, sitting in my bunk and that night and every night after listening to this music in my cassette tape player over and over and over again. And I'm going to date myself because this was in the 90s and there was a guy who was uh, popular among Christians, Michael W. Smith. And I had one tape And I listened to this tape over and over and over again. So I have a treat for you this morning. I want you to watch this video 
And some of you have never seen a video from the 90s, and so you're going to see what it looked like from the 1990s. Go West, young man. Let's show us this video. I think Michael W. Smith is the best singer in his field right now. Look at these uh, clothes and the speech. I mean, it's fantastic. It the youth. It sounds good. It looks good. We listened to Michael W. Smith's tape a million times. He joins Christian. I like the half turtleneck here. You like that style. He's not afraid to stand up for what he believes in. He tries to get a certain point across in his music, and, and other groups don't really try to do that as well as he does. When I did a workshop for kids in a junior high recently, I took one of his songs in and played it, The Place in This World, because those kids need to know that they have a definite place in this world. I like um, Picture Perfect because it's just about how you don't have to be, you don't have to live up to certain standards of the world. My favorite song is Secret Ambition. Uh, I just love the message that it portrays. I don't listen to much of the words, I listen to more of the music part of it. He makes sure to include like the whole youth population, not just Christians. I think he ought to be on more pop stations because he has good values and that's what America needs right now. Listen to that, Go West, young man, over and over and over again in my bunk. Isn't it interesting that fads, art, culture, they will come and go, but the word of God will last forever. Amen? I had no, really, really, I had no clue until recently uh, that he's saying, go west. Why is he saying go west, Right? Because he's saying it to go west toward the Lord, whereas the e- instead of going east out of the Garden of Eden, because that's where they left east to get out of the presence of God. But I, I didn't understand that when I was listening to the song, yet it still drew me to the Lord. But I was troubled in heart. And it was this song that reminded me that the Lord was with me, that he is all that I needed in that moment. He would not leave me nor forsake me. I think that when you assume one thing and you are unexpectedly hit or rocked with something different, you become shaken and, and the disciples are shaken here when, they, when Jesus tells them, I'm leaving you. Jesus has been with them for three and a half years. He's shown them himself. He's shown that he is truly the son of God in him, that there is eternal life. And now he's, he is going away. And they're troubled in their heart. They're shaken. And now Jesus comforts them with truth. 
You see, one of the reasons why we gather together every week is to be comforted by the truth of Scripture, by the truth of what Christ says and the Holy Spirit has said through His message. And this morning, He'll give us a word of encouragement as what we are supposed to do in times in which we are shaken. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. For he is the way to God. He is the truth that God brings. And he is the life that God gives. You see, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. This is the most outstanding claim in all of history. That he is all that we need. Some cannot accept it. And yet, we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's dive into the scriptures this morning. Let your hearts not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. First point this morning deals with Jesus and when he says, believe in God, believe in me, this faith brings life. Faith brings life. The commands Jesus gives his disciples is to not let their hearts be troubled and to believe. It is replacing this fear with faith. This trust in God is manifest by your Actions. Your faith expresses what you do. When you have faith, you trust in the way of God. And therefore, you believe that his way is better than your way. Another way to say it is I take and eat what God has provided as good and I reject going against God's way to take and eat for myself. In essence, to believe in God and to believe upon Christ is to say God's way is better. You see, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate the apple, they did not trust God and his word and therefore sinned. When we don't trust God's word, when we don't believe what Christ has said, even in the moment of trouble, in the moment of heartache, in the moment of hardship, we move ourselves outside of the realm of faith in God and we trust in ourselves or in our circumstance or in the world and what it says over what God has said according to his word. It's not good that Jesus is going away from his disciples, but God has a plan for that, right? It's called the salvation of the world. 
Jesus had to leave his disciples so that the Holy Spirit could come upon his disciples. He had to be put on a cross so that God could forgive your sin and my sin and the disciples' sins for all eternity. He had to go away from his disciples. He had to be crucified on the cross so that sin could be atoned for. God's plan and faith in God amidst your circumstance is so much greater than trusting in what you see or the circumstance that you find yourself in. Jesus makes it clear here that trusting in Jesus, you are actually trusting in God. John 12, says this, and Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. This is why Jesus uses the term believe in God, believe also in me. Belief in Christ is a belief in God because he is God's provision for salvation for mankind. Hebrews 1.3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So belief in Jesus brings us into God's giving of life. Because this faith actually brings us to God himself. So the rest of the passage will explain to us why we should believe. Why should we believe in Jesus? This is a great passage to read your children. Why should you believe in Jesus? I was, I was at the doctor's office the other day, and he said, you're a millennial. All you want to know is why, 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 why? And I was like, okay, all right. Millennials want to know why. Well, this passage is great for millennials because it answers the question, why should you believe upon Jesus? In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? Number one, in the, in the dwelling place of God, there is room for you. Isn't that interesting? In the dwelling place of God, there is room for you. This is a magnificent promise that has implications for those who have faith in Christ. Not only does God have room, he wants you to come to be with him. John 1.12 is a great, great promise. But to, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To be in the family of of God, to be in the household of God, in the dwelling place of God. You might ask your question, how, how is it possible for a sinful human being to dwell in the presence of an almighty God? 
I mean, wouldn't he just kind of, we, we used to, in, in, when we lived out in the country, we had this bug zapper thing, right? And it zaps the bugs every time that you they hit, hear a bug, you go, zzz, 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 you know, and you have this light and they're just attracted to the light and it just zaps the bugs. Why doesn't God just zap us, right? Because of our sin, when we get close to the light, why don't we just die? Well, that's, that's a great question. Why not? In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. Jesus uses that twice, that preparing a place for us means it's important. What does that mean? Does that mean that the household of God is in disrepair? Do the walls need to be painted for us? Does the guttering need to be fixed before we come? What, what does that mean? Well, Matthew 25, 34 tells us, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So if the kingdom was prepared for us from the foundation of the world, why is Jesus preparing a place for us? Well, kind of has to deal, do with that question of why doesn't he zap us? There's something not yet ready. What he's preparing is the way to get into the Father's dwelling place. The way into the household of God. You see, at this point, there is no way in. Our sin has separated us from a holy and righteous God. And if we approach him, we will be zapped. The wrath of God will come upon us. We cannot dwell in the household of God. Therefore, Jesus has to prepare a place for us. And how does he do that? He prepares by being the door in which we will come into the household of God. Last week we saw that he is the door. That he will take us to himself. He will take us into the Father's house. And how will he do that? How will he open a door for us to enter into the household of God, into the presence of God that he has prepared for the foundation of the world for you? How will he do that? He will die. A humiliating death upon the cross. You see, the only way that you have room in the dwelling place of God is because of the righteousness of Christ has now been placed upon you because of your faith in him and his righteousness. He paid for your sin. Therefore, the door is Christ himself into the dwelling place of God. So when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and that he will take you there himself. He's talking about what he will endure upon the cross, the humiliation, the beatings, 
taking upon the sin of the world upon himself to bring you to God. Praise God, our God doesn't leave us. Amen? Verse 4, and you know the way to where I'm going. He's already declared the way which he's going, not only to death first, but then to the Father, to be with the Father. He's declared this multiple times to the disciples, but Thomas, and we'll talk about Thomas next week on Easter, doubting Thomas, right? We've never been that before. I know, I know I've never, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is point number two this morning. There is only one way to find life. There is only one way to find life. This is the exclusive claim of the gospel. It is the most outstanding claim in all of human history that there is only one way to God. You see, in the current climate that we find ourselves, in the world in which we find ourselves, it's pictured as if God is on top of this mountain and that we're all on the bottom of the mountain and we all find our way to God. No matter where we are or what religion we're about, we find our way to God. This is completely against what Jesus says. Because Jesus claims that there is no other way. He is the only way. You see, most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They have a problem with this statement right here that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. The only way to heaven, the only way to the dwelling place of God, the only way to God himself is through Jesus Christ. John Stott says this, one of the most extraordinary things Jesus did in his teaching, and he did it so unobtrusively that many people read the Bible without even noticing it, was to set himself apart from everybody else. For example, by claiming to be the good shepherd who went out into the desert to seek his lost sheep, he was implying that the world was lost, that he wasn't, and that he could seek and save it. In other words, he put himself in a moral category in which he was alone. Everybody else was in the darkness. He was the light of the world. Everybody else was hungry. He was the bread of life. Everybody else was thirsty. He could quench their thirst. Everybody else was sinful. He could forgive their sins. Indeed, on two separate occasions, he did so. And both times, observers were scandalized. They asked, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And if Jesus claimed authority to forgive the penitent, he also claimed authority to judge the impenitent. Several of his parables implied that he expected to return at the end of history. On that day, he said he would sit on the glorious throne. All nations would stand before him and he would separate them from one another as a shepherd separates his sheep 
from the goats. In other words, he would settle their eternal destiny. Thus he made himself the central figure on the day of judgment. You see, our culture completely rejects the notion that there is one way to God. Yet Jesus clearly declared that there is only one way and it is through him. Matthew seven thirteen says this, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it our are few. You see, Jesus says that he is the way in a culture that says there are many ways to God. Jesus says that he is the truth in a culture in which says there is no absolute truth. You see, our culture has decided that faith is a matter of personal taste or tradition. So a person born in India is most likely a Hindu. Someone born in the Arab world is most likely a Muslim. Someone born in certain parts of the U.S. is most likely an atheist. Someone born in other parts of the U.S. is most likely a Christian. So in our world... Our faith is based upon our taste, what your personal preference is, or your tradition, what is most accepted around you, what your family believes, where you were raised. Except Jesus says that faith is not based upon tradition, it's not based upon personal preference, it's based upon truth. Jesus says in eight, John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, Jesus says that faith is a matter of truth. Either Jesus is who he says he is, or he is not. Either God is the creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe and everything that we see, or he is not. Atheists would say, no, God did not create the heavens and the earth. Yet, Jesus said, through my word, I spoke them through existence. How about Muslims? Jesus, Muslims believe that Jesus did not actually die upon a cross. Either he did or he did not. Both of these belief systems cannot be true at the same time. Most of our world 
is raising our children to believe that Muslims and Christians and Hindus and Jews all believe in some type of higher authority God and therefore they are all okay. This is what is taught in the school. This is what is taught in the news stations. This is what we see in our world, some form of this universal thinking. Yet Jesus clearly claims that he is the way, the truth, the life. But for many people in the world, they believe their way will allow them into the dwelling place of God. This is a problem. And one that we, the church, have to begin to communicate clearly. And what I mean by that is we need to begin to communicate. We are not talking about Jesus as a good person. We are not talking about Jesus who has good teachings. We're not talking about Jesus plus Muhammad. We're not talking about Jesus plus your traditional Hinduism. We're not talking about Jesus plus something else. We are talking about Jesus alone for salvation. Nothing else. And this is the problem in our world today is which we have thousands and millions of people who are raised from birth and they don't even know that Jesus claimed that he is the way, the truth, and the life. They've never been confronted with Jesus is the only way. They think that he is a way. That's great that you're a Christian. I'm glad that you do that. I have my own way. The problem is Jesus says that there's only one way. And we need to plead and and, and go to people who have never heard that Jesus is the only way. You see, many people have made extravagant claims in history. Many religious teachers. But in all their lives, all these other teachers, their death was tragic end of their story. Muhammad died at 62. Confucius died at 72. The Buddha died at 80. Moses died at 120 years old. And all these leaders, their death marked the end of their story, yet he is risen. He is risen. Amen. Let's get ready for next week. He is risen. Amen. It's a matter of what is true. Jesus says it's a matter of truth, not a personal preference or tradition. He's not only the truth and the way, but he is also the life. We talked about Christ giving life last week. You see, the waters of this world will not quench the thirst of God that God has placed in our hearts. 
This is why Jesus says, I will give you living water. The hunger pains of God will not be satisfied in this world. That's why Jesus says, I'm the breath, bread of life. All of these hungers and desires and hopes that we have in this world are satisfied when we meet the presence and in the dwelling place of our creator. You know, my, my kids were asking me about heaven the other day. They're like, what, what will we be like and how will we do this? Do you not think that the God who created the earth and all the beauty in the earth will create heaven that much more beautiful? <laughs> the creator God created everything that is good in our earth. Will, will he not in his presence have so much more we have to understand who we're talking to and God actually Jesus goes to the cross in order for God to come and dwell in you to be a down payment for what it would be like to be in the presence of God for all eternity the form of the Holy Spirit you're you're disoriented. Jesus says, I'm the way. You're confused. He says, I am the truth. You're fearful. He says, I am the life. Knowing me is enough and will be enough. Your search can end with Christ. John three thirty six says this, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. But whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains upon him. And after Jesus says this statement, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the last point, bleeds over from the life, but life is found in the presence of God. He equates knowing the Father with knowing Christ. We'll see in later in verse 16 that Jesus will not leave his children by themselves, but he will send a helper. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it either sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit, beautiful picture of God never leaving us nor forsaking us. When Jesus left, he sent us the helper to live in you, the very presence of God, to walk with you, to help you understand God's word, to help you walk in the truth of the scriptures, of who Christ is, and live a life that will glorify God. You see, Jesus gets the glory of being the way, not a way. The truth, not a truth. The life, not just life. And as he does, we get the joy and peace and stability of having such a Lord and Savior and treasure. 
the heart of Christianity is not pillars to follow, but a person to know and enjoy. I've been on a mission trip with Dr. Brown before, and he'll share this on a mission trip, that Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. You have to make the decision of who he is. What he says is either true or false. I am the the way, the truth, and the life. Or he is not. And really, there's no riding the fence in the Christian life. You are either all in or you are denying Christ. Your faith, you will see. Do you trust in God and what he has said? Or do you go your own way? You see, there are many responses to this passage this morning, but I'm going to give you two. Number one is to replace your fear with faith in Christ. Submission to him as Lord, trusting in him no matter what you see with your eyes or feel or experience in this world, you're trusting that God is with you. Or number two, you need to turn from your own way and start living as if Christ is the way. And that changes your perspective on every area of your life. And if Christ is the way, then you need to reorganize your life around the word of God and what Christ has said according to the scriptures. So let's respond to the Lord, either faith or repentance, or both, and finding that Christ is all we need. Let's pray. If you'll stand with me as we pray, our musicians are gonna come up and we're gonna worship together. Father, we thank you in which the time we find ourselves knowing that this is uh, troubled times. Our hearts are troubled for our future generations. Our hearts are troubled for our own life, what we see in our world today. And Father, we need you. We trust in your judgment, in your timing, in your ways. Father, if there is any people in this room this morning who have not placed their faith upon Christ for salvation, we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw them to them to yourself, that they would declare that Jesus is Lord, that they would declare who Jesus is, that he died, resurrected from the dead, and gives life to our mortal soul. Father, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We recognize that. And we want to come before you, not in fear, but in faith. 
Not from going our own way, but trusting in your way. May you not leave us nor forsake us. May you prepare a place for us in the dwelling place of God. Father, help us to experience you, the power of your Holy Spirit in this life that will prepare us for an eternal weight of glory in the next. For this light momentary affliction is only preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. We thank you and praise you for you are good and your word is good. You declare the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar is open for prayer. Let us respond in worship and prayer this morning.
guys can be seated. Oh, I'm so glad that Christ has saved us. Aren't you glad too? Let's give the Lord a round of applause this morning. Just celebrate what God has, been, has done in each of our lives. Uh, we've got a lot coming up this, we, uh, this month and next month. And so uh, next week is Easter. Uh, where things are, different things are going to be happening. It's awesome. We've got a breakfast at 930 for everybody. We've got uh, 10 o'clock, an Easter egg hunt for our kids. And then at uh, 10.45, we're having our, our special Easter service. We're going to celebrate what God has done uh, in our lives and, and in just throughout all of history. And so we are uh, super excited for you to be a part of that. Um, we also have this Friday is our Good Friday experience. So from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock on this Friday is our Good Friday experience where you and your family can come together and, and, and kind of walk through different stations of Good Friday and through the story of Christ dying for our sins on the cross. And so uh, there are, time is very short as well. And so if you are wanting to come to that, I would encourage you guys on your, uh, your, your bulletins this morning, we have codes uh, so you can register and, and get a time slot. That way you can show up and not have to worry about, am I going to be able to go? Because you've got your spot. That's right here. So sign up soon. Uh, April 22nd through the 23rd is, a, is the Oklahoma Baptist Women's Retreat. Uh, and so online registration is, is live. It's going. The cost is $30. But hey, don't let money be the reason you don't come. It's going to be an incredible time of, of worship and of teaching and fellowship. And so uh, that is something that you definitely want to get, that you want to come to. If you have any more questions, uh, feel free to reach out to Jordan Lindley. She's kind of helping that up. And so she uh, is, is leading that. She's awesome. Uh, next. April 29th is Secret Church. Scott is helping lead with this. This is awesome. The cost is $20. It is a, it is a very special time of prayer and teaching uh, that we, I think it, it's great for anybody to try at least once. It's, it's a little bit of a challenge, but it's awesome. From 5.30 in the evening uh, until midnight, we will be spending some time praying and, and, and teaching and, and, and spending time with one another for uh, the believers in Afghanistan, for stuff that's happening all across the world, and then especially for lost people that are right here in our city, we will be uh, diving into God's Word. And so it is an intense time, but it is very much worth it. And so there also will be coffee, and there will be snacks. You do not want to miss that. Uh, so sign up. Uh, the, uh, you can go to Scott to get some more information about that. 
And then as we are uh, continuing kind of into this, into this next season, we're getting ready close to summer. Uh, we've got Super Summer stuff coming up. So if you want to go to Super Summer, you sign up this, this month. If you want to go to Champs Camp as a leader, you sign up this month. And in June, we also have a mission trip to Guatemala. Uh, that we want you guys to start praying about. Um, and so that is June 17th through the 27th. Um, and so we will be serving uh, this, this, these communities that are in here. And so uh, Brent Brown is leading that. So if you have any questions or you're interested in that, you should reach out to him. And there are plenty of other stuff on the back. Our, the God is uh, definitely moving. There's a lot of things that are happening. So if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And uh, hey, let's go share the gospel with somebody this week, all right? You guys are sent.